When I was a kid, we would go on yearly vacations, and this would often lead us through those touristy, tourist trap type towns like Gatlinburg, Tennessee, as we would go to Florida. Now, many of you may have been to these types of towns, and maybe it wasn't even that one, it was one up here like Duluth, but I always remember walking around these clothing shops and these toy shops and all these different stores and looking at all the fun stuff. But for some reason, one other thing that came to mind to me this week as I was thinking about this sermon was all the name cards. I, I remember seeing in all these different stores these cards which you'd look for your name and then you try and read about the meaning behind your name. And maybe you've seen these before. Maybe it was in a Christian bookstore. Maybe it was in a restaurant or a, a truck stop, a gas station. Maybe you've seen these. Well, just for fun, I thought I would start out this morning and is related to the message, so I'd start out with reading to you the meaning of my name. I thought about reading a few of yours, but I thought I'd be nice and just pick on me. It's rather fun. So the name Patrick, here's the meaning. From the Latin name Patricus, which meant nobleman. This name was adopted in the 5th century by St. Patrick. He was a Romanized Briton who was captured and enslaved and is used by Irish raiders. After six years of servitude, he escaped home, but he eventually became a bishop and went back to Ireland as a missionary. He is traditionally credited with Christianizing the island and is regarded as Ireland's patron saint. In England and elsewhere in Europe during the Middle Ages, this name was used in honor of the saint. However, it was not generally given in Ireland before the 17th century, because it was con considered too sacred for everyday use. Since then, it's become quite common. So, you can think about that little story in two ways. Either I can look upon that, and I thought it was pretty funny as I'm reading about my name and thinking, man, my name is a sacred name. I'm a nobleman. I'm a missionary. But then you can also remember the end of that story where it says, nowadays it's not so sacred. It's kind of common. And I am that common man. And I thank God every day for how he uses me. But names have meaning. And names are important. And as you think about a name, it gives you history if you look into it. But it, it doesn't just help you to recognize with a person or relate with a person or to know their name. To Instead of say, hey you, <laughs> hey you. But you actually have a name and that helps you to relate with them. I, I was mentored by pastors and by professors and even by my dad growing up that when you're at a restaurant, don't just greet your waitress or your wait waiter by, hey, you, but make a point to notice their name on their name tag. In fact, you notice I'm wearing my name on me today. It means something when people get to hear their name. Well, today we're talking about a man named Elijah. I should get my remote so I don't forget to transition here. But today we're talking about a, ma name, a man named Elijah. And the name Elijah is a very meaning-filled, meaningful name. And it's a name which has been used throughout history because of the story that's behind it. Now, not everybody lives up to this reputation of the original Elijah that we find in 1 Kings chapter 17 and 18. And you're welcome to turn there, by the way, as I open up here, as I talk. But I'll be doing most of the reading to you today. But Elijah was a hero of faith. The story of Elijah has a lot in it. It covers a lot of chapters of the Bible. We can't read it all. 
and he has a lot of miracles and a lot of dialogue, a lot of context to his stories. We can't cover it all, but let me give you some summary here. The name of Elijah means the Lord is God. And this man's name corresponds greatly with how God would use him and how he would honor God with his life. So remember, Elijah's name means the Lord is God. I think everything you see about the miracles he does, the life he lives, corresponds to what his name means. He really lived out the meaning of his name to make sure that everybody saw and knew that the Lord is God. Elijah was a Hebrew prophet and a miracle worker. He was active in the 9th century B.C. during the reign of King Ahab of Israel and his Phoenician-born queen Jezebel. Elijah confronted the queen and king and the entire nation of their idolatry of the god Baal and other wicked deeds as well and wicked idols and gods. They, they had turned away from their one true God and they thought they can just dabble in a little bit of the one true God, dabble in these other idols and just whatever day it is, pick and choose who they want to worship and for what reason. They made it a selfish choice about what they wanted instead of considering what God commands them to do. At the end of the, his life, he was carried to heaven in a chariot of fire, in a whirlwind, and was succeeded by Elisha. And in the New Testament, Elijah and Moses appear next to Jesus when he is transfigured. But here's the thing we see about Elijah as we look into his life. Elijah is a man of prayer. And in the New Testament, we see this from James as James describes Elijah. And I find this interesting because James himself is known to be a man of prayer. So much so that it was passed down throughout history that he, he traditionally had his own nickname of being called Camel Knees because his knees were so rough from spending so much time on his knees in prayer. James uses Elijah as, exam as an example for prayer and we're also going to use him. But it's important to see that Elijah's prayers were powerful because of his strong faith in the one true God, and not in other gods, but only in him. He lived a life according to God's ways. James tells us in James 5, 16 to 17 this, The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, directly from scripture here, and he prayed earnestly that it might not rain, and it did not rain on earth for three years and six months. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. If there's one area which many Christians struggle, it's in the area of prayer. And I think we all look to different people who we see in the church or in the community, and we think, I wish I had a prayer life like theirs. We all have role models of prayer, and it's for different reasons. Maybe it's because you see them endlessly praying and long prayers or continually praying, and you feel like every time you see them, they're praying, and you think, man, I wish I had a life like theirs, a prayer life where I'm always remembering to pray. Because I just forget. I try and do it all on my own. Or maybe you look to this person on, on prayer, and you think, I wish I had a prayer life theirs, because all you see, or what you think you see, is their prayers being answered. And you don't see the behind the scenes of everything that may not be answered. or may not be answered in the way that they're actually looking for or praying. We have role models for prayer. But contrary to what most people think, prayer is not about how long our prayers are 
It's not even ultimately just about what words we use. But an effective prayer life is one which is praying for the things that God wants us to pray for. And our prayer life should reflect a right relationship with him as well. James references Elijah as an example of a righteous man, a very faithful man with powerful prayers. <clears throat> and that's what we're getting into today. The main message for today that I want you to remember and take to heart is prayer is powerful in the life of a faithful man. And that man or woman can be you today as well. Prayer is powerful in the life of a faithful man. And Elijah, as we read in James 5, 17 to 18, prayed earnestly. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. But that wasn't because Elijah was some special person with special powers. It also tells us that he was a... He was a man with a nature like ours. <coughs> Excuse me. What made Elijah's prayers powerful <coughs> was that he had faith in God. He prayed according to God's will, and he continued to do all that God wanted him to do. I'm going to read to you, if I can, if my voice will hold out. From 1 Kings chapter 17 and 18. I'm going to skip around just a little bit because of time. And I want to end on time for the business meeting and Sunday school words. But if you could turn in your Bibles to 1 Kings chapter 17. I'm going to start at verse 1 just to give some context. And we'll move on through the story of Elijah. Because maybe you're like me and you think... Wow, Pastor Patrick, I don't want to admit it out loud, but I don't want to remember the story of Elijah. I don't know. I, I know he's a famous guy, big name, but, and his name means the Lord is God, but what did he do? I want to read to you the context. I want to read to you a few of his miracles. Sorry, in 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 1. Now Elijah the Tishbite of Tishbe in Gilead said to Ahab, as the Lord, the God of Israel, lives before whom I stand, there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. <coughs> now let me say this to you. I'm going to stop there for just a moment. Ahab is the current king. A king who is not leading his people, his kingdom, to God and to worship him. He's a king who's worshiping idols and everything that he shouldn't be doing. And he's allowing his queen also to worship idols and Baal, false gods and to kill, to murder the prophets of our Lord. And here we have, at the very beginning of the story of Elijah, we have Elijah, prophet of the Lord, standing before this king and telling him, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives before whom I stand, there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except for by my word. This is bravery, guys. This is courage. You are standing before, before the king, and you're saying... I'm going to ruin your kingdom. I'm going to make sure there is no rain here until I say otherwise. And it's going to be a long time. But God protects him. And as we read on, we see this. And the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Depart from here and turn eastward and hide yourself by the brook Charis, which is east of the Jordan. You shall drink from the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord. 
he went and lived by the brook Kareth that is east of the Jordan. And the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning, and bread and meat in the evening. And he drank from the brook, and after a while the brook dried up, because there was no rain in the land. So already we're seeing kind of a pretty cool story, right? We got this brave, courageous man, Elijah, who is following after what God tells him to do. And he's speaking up to a king. You could have him killed on the spot. But then he miraculously is not killed, but he goes into hiding based off God's own command. And he's, he's following through on what God's telling him to do. And he hides in the land. But it, it goes a step further in how awesome this scripture is, right? This man, Elijah, is being fed by ravens. Now, there's been some debate amongst scholars throughout the years, and I truly believe this is the God, our God, the God of the Bible, the God of miracles, and God can use all of his creation to serve him. He can create new things to serve him if he wanted to. So some debates have said, well, maybe the ravens just stood for somebody, like the Assyrians or another nation, another village, somebody cared for him. That's just symbolism. I really think that God used ravens. It's powerful. It's a miracle. And it, that's what scripture says. And the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning, bread and the meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. God took care of his prophet Elijah, and he protected him from being found by the king as well. And we do see in the end there, that the prophet himself is not saved from his own miracle, from God's miracles, though. And even the brook that he was drinking from would eventually dry up to show us the power of this famine, of this drought. But God still provided for him and led him into the house of a widow to be taken care of. I will read that another day because I do need to watch my time. But we're going to skip forward to chapter 18 here. As we skip forward to chapter 18, we see that Elijah is now out of the wilderness. He's out of the widow's house. God's been taking care of him all this time. And he's even been doing some other miracles, like <coughs> make sure the widow had enough flour and water to take care of him, raising the widow's son from death. Well, now we see God calling him back to the main mission. Chapter 18, after many days, how many days? Many days. The word of the Lord came back to Elijah in the third year, saying, Go show yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain upon the earth. So Elijah went to show himself to Ahab. Now the famine was severe in Samaria. We're going to skip forward to verse 17 now to just show the encounter that Elijah is having with the king himself. Verse 17 of chapter 18. When Ahab saw Elijah, Ahab said to him, Is it you, you troubler of Israel? And Elijah answered, I have not troubled Israel, but you have in your father's house. So again, I find this interesting because Ahab could have just come right to him and said, Oh, I found you. I'm going to kill you. You've been troubling this nation. But he's kind of inquisitive. And he's asking him, is this you? You're Elijah. You're the troubler who, who doomed us, was taking away our water supply. And Elijah actually has a chance to answer. And Elijah says, I have not troubled Israel, but you have in your father's house because you have abandoned the commandments of the Lord and followed balls. Now, therefore, Elijah issues a challenge to the king. 
Send and gather all Israel to me at Mount Carmel, and the 450 prophets of Baal, and the 400 prophets of Asherah, who eat at Jezebel's table, the queen's table. So Ahab, verse 20, sent to all the people of Israel and gathered the prophets together at Mount Carmel. And Elijah came near to all the people and said, How long will you go limping between two different opinions? So again, this is the nation which is divided. They've left serving and worshiping and exalting the one true God. And they're thinking, we're going to worship this one God, this false God of Baal and all his idols. And maybe on some other days we'll worship this God. But Elijah's trying to call them back to the one true God and say, you can't serve more than one master. You can't serve more than one God. And he says, if the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people did not answer him a word. Then Elijah said to the people, I, even I, only, <coughs> only am left a prophet of the Lord. But Baal's prophets are 450 men. So let two bulls be given to us. And here's the challenge. And let them choose one bull for themselves and cut it in pieces and lay it on the wood. But put no fire to it. And I will prepare the other bull and lay it on the wood and put no fire to it. And you can call upon the name of your God, and I will call upon the name of the Lord. And the God who answers by fire, he is God. So here's what ha what's happening here. Elijah is challenging them to do a burnt offering to their God, and to make a sacrifice, and to put it on the, the altar, and to, to call upon their God, and basically say, God, prove to me that you are the true God, and burn up this offering. Now, Elijah knew that the god of Baal was generally thought of to be in charge of nature and the weather and the storms and of lightning. So he's kind of even playing into them, as you'll see that he mocks them later and says, Well, if your god is controlling the weather, well, then have him call down fire, lightning, to burn this up. And then I'll call upon my god, and the one who really does it is the one that is the true god. And all the people answered, it is well spoken. Then Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, Choose for yourself one bull and prepare it first, for you are many. And call upon the name of your God, but put no fire to it. And they took the bull that was given them, and they prepared it, and called upon the name of Baal from morning until noon, saying, O Baal, answer us. But there was no voice, and no one answered. And they limped around, limped around the altar that they had made, and at noon, Elijah mocked him, them, saying, Cry aloud, for he is a god. Either he is musing, or he is relieving himself, or he is on a journey, or perhaps he is asleep and must be awakened, because they often believe that their false gods had to sleep. But we're told that our God does not sleep. Our God does not slumber. And they cried aloud and cut themselves after their custom with swords and lances until the blood gushed out upon them. And as midday passed, they raved on until the time of offering of oblation. But there was no voice. So now we're into the late afternoon, the evening, when it's time for the next sacrifice. And no one answered. No one paid attention. Now it's Elijah's turn. Like I said, there's quite the story here, and you need to read it all to really get the context and, and understand the miracle. Then Elijah said to all the people, Come near to me. Come one, come all, come watch what my God, the one true God, is about to do. 
And all the people came near to him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been thrown down. He doesn't just lay it upon the ground and do the work, but he repairs the altar of the one true God that had been damaged. He takes time to do that. I think our prayers are more powerful when we do work for it. And we're at, when we actually spend time in prayer serving God as well. Elijah took 12 stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord came, saying, Israel shall be your name. And with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he made a trench about the altar, or as great as would contain two seahs of seed. And he put the wood in order and cut the bowl in pieces and laid it on the wood. And he said... Fill four jars with water and pour it on the burnt offering and on the wood. And he said, do it a second time. And they did it a second time. He said, do it a third time. We're in a drought. There's no water to be found. And yet he's using this valuable water to cover the burnt offering. Now, I think he does this for one reason is to show the power of God. God's not just going to take this away, catch on fire, make it a burnt offering. But he's going to catch it on fire even though it's covered in water. And the water ran around the altar and filled the trench also with water. And at the time of the offering of oblation, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel, and that I am your servant, and that I have done all these things at your word. He's trying to bring attention to God, not himself, but God, and to get people to turn away from the false gods. Answer me, O Lord, answer me about this people, that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God, and that you have turned their hearts back. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering, and the wood, and the stones, and the dust, and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. And Elijah said to them, Seize the prophets of Baal. Let not one of them escape. And they seized them. And Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and slaughtered them the air. And that was very important to punish them in accordance with the law of God found in Deuteronomy and also in retribution for them killing all of God's prophets as well. Now, <clears throat> let's talk about this just a little bit. We talked about a lot of scripture just as we read it. So I'm not going to spend a ton of time. We're going to start wrapping it up. But what was it about Elijah that made his prayers, his life, so powerful and effective? I mean, his life was pretty crazy. He was fed by ravens. He saw the widow's supply of oil and flour miraculously never run out. He raised her son back to life. He faced down the prophets of Baal at Mount Carmel. He challenged the king. And he even called God to catch on fire this burnt offering. And not just the offering, but everything within that, on that altar, including licking up the water. What was so powerful about the life of Elijah and his, and his prayers? It wasn't Elijah. It was the fact that Elijah had learned to place his faith in God. In God alone. Elijah's name meaning is, the Lord is God. His name had meaning because that's what Elijah did. He placed, his play, he placed his trust in the Lord God and God alone. And he made sure to turn everybody else back to God. 
he continued to do what God told him to do. How crazy would that be in the beginning when God tells you, Hey, Mr. Bob, I'm not speaking to anybody in here, just so you know, but hey, Bob, I want you to go hide yourself and don't worry about food, about water, about provisions. Just go hide. I'll feed you with ravens, with birds. They'll deliver food to you. And you're thinking, oh, that's crazy. I must be hearing the devil, not God, because that sounds like somebody that's luring me into trouble. But no, he knew this was God speaking to him and him having faith in the one true God and him alone, he followed through in what God told him to do. After Elijah's first confrontation with King Ahab, God sent him to the Karis Brook. There Elijah sat, no food, no provisions, but God knew what his needs were, and God provided for him. Here's hiding from the king, as God instructed him to do so, and God protected him from the king. We would read on if we had more time that Obadiah talked about how the king had searched every nation all over for him. And Elijah was nowhere to be found. I think that's because God supernaturally protected him and hid him. He had faith in God's direction and protection. And he didn't doubt it at all. But we also see this, number two. We are to pray boldly as we pray for miracles that only God could make happen. And maybe you don't see it as miracles. Maybe you just think about your life. What are you praying for? You should be praying boldly, just like Elijah. Pray boldly. Stop saying that you believe in God, yet living as he doesn't exist. Depending on your own power instead of his divine power. Stop saying that you believe in God, but depending on yourself. As we look to this scripture, we see over and over again that Elijah didn't necessarily pray long prayers. He prayed big, bold, powerful prayers that only God could provide, only God could do. But it did not stop here. Elijah had such faith that God would answer his bold prayers that he challenged the king and all the prophets of the false god to a challenge with a burnt offering. And God followed through and took up the burnt offering despite all the water on it too. And then we see... We are also to pray earnestly. Just like we see with Elijah. <clears throat> we see Elijah prayed earnestly. Praying earnestly means you continue to pray. And you pray hard. Not just once or twice or three times, but you continue to pray earnestly until either A, he provides, or B, until you know that his will has been made evident to you that he has a different plan. And you need to fall in line with his plan and not continue to working against him but work with him. As we see Elijah did when now he calls the rain to come back. He prayed earnestly in 1 Kings 18, 41 to 45, as we start to wrap up for good. Elijah said to Ahab, go up and eat and drink. Now this is after the, the challenge with the false prophets is done with. He says, go up and eat and drink, for there is a sound of a rainstorm coming. Now, Ahab's probably thinking, what? I haven't heard a rainstorm in three and a half years. Now, you're telling me there's going to be rain? But Ahab went to eat and drink. But Elijah went up to the summit of Mount Carmel. He bent down on the ground and put his face between his knees. Then he said to his servant, go up and look towards the sea a time. So Elijah went up to his summit and he put his face between his knees. He bent down. He didn't just say some simple, easy prayer, but he prayed earnestly with everything he had. He prayed, 
for rain to come. And then as he prayed for rain to come once, he sent his servant, go look upon the sea. See if you see any evidence that the rain is coming. So he went up and looked and said to Elijah, there's nothing. Seven times Elijah said to go back. So Elijah prayed the same thing over and over. Seven times he prayed earnestly. And on the seventh time, the servant reported, there's a cloud as small as a man's hand coming up from the sea. One cloud as small as a man's hand. That's all that Elijah needed for proof, for evidence that God had heard his prayers and the rain was coming. Then Elijah said, go and tell Ahab, get your chariot ready and go down so the rain doesn't stop you. Because God's going to provide such a rain now, such evidence, such a miracle that the rain would overpower the chariot. And in verse 45, in a little while the sky grew dark with clouds and wind, and there was a downpour. Elijah had prayed the drought into existence, and now he prayed for the rain to come back. Now, I find it interesting to contrast. Elijah prayed one prayer, and God sent fire from heaven to devour the burnt offering, the water, everything on it. But God didn't give the water immediately this time. I think there's a meaning behind that, and we could debate that. We could talk about it a lot. But one meaning is, I think God wants to see us pray earnestly. He wants us to see that we're not powerful in our own strength. And if God just immediately gives us everything we want the moment we ask for it, we may begin to get a little conceited, a little arrogant, and a little bit too dependent on ourselves and think, I'm the one that does it all. Elijah could have been the same one and thought, I can pray for anything and God just gives it to me. But no, God allows Elijah to work for it and to pray earnestly. And seven times he asked and sent his servant to look for an answer. He didn't just give up. Elijah's actions also showed a humble submission for verse both himself and Israel. The people had been seeking their own false gods, but they were not turning back to the one true God. But now they would, because Elijah continued to follow through and have faith in his God throughout it all. He continued to obey God's commands upon his life, and he prayed powerful, bold prayers. Our prayers should be focused on humbly submitting your life to God. And kind of a point 4B on that, as we pray and focus on submitting to God humbly, we should also be pointing everyone around you back to God, just as Elijah did. Elijah prayed, and all these miracles were done, but not for himself, but so that, the God, so that God may be glorified and so that people would turn back to God. Elijah is a hero of faith. His very name means the Lord is God, and he made sure to point everyone's life back to this God, the one true God, and to having faith in him, in him alone, through powerful prayers of a faithful man. Prayer is powerful in the life of faithful men and women of God. You are men and women of, cha- uh, and of God. There's power in a name, and God's word tells us that Your name, you have a new name. Your name is sons and daughters of God, children of God, and there is power in that name. What are you doing with your prayers, with your prayer life? Are your prayers powerful and coming from a faithful child of God? Bow your heads as we close in prayer, please.
Lord God, we thank you for your word today and for the life of Elijah and for so many heroes of faith and for your word that you give us, which is totally 100% true. We look to it for guidance, Lord, and this morning we thank you for this guidance you've given to us of a faithful man who had power, a powerful life of prayer, which is only because of you. We pray for our own lives that we have big, bold, powerful prayers, and we pray earnestly. But we don't pray for our own will, Lord. We pray for yours, and we pray that we continue to do all that you call us to do. And when it seems like our prayers are not being answered, we don't get discouraged. We don't stop. But we look to our life, and we look to your word and think, maybe you have a different plan. How should we be submitting to it? May our prayers be big that point people back to you. In your holy and powerful name we pray, Lord. Amen. You're dismissed for a short few minutes, but here in about five minutes, we're going to convene back together for the Sunday School Awards and for a business meeting before our next service. Thank you.